coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and what that means for the InfoSec community. We'll dive into what we've been seeing on our end, predictions on what we may see from bad actors, and practical advice for moving forward. And finally, we'll conclude with our fun game, Guilt, Guidance, and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 151, recorded on March 20th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, forever in your debt, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, how green was my valley till it wasn't, Helming. And last but not least, Daniel, a penny for your thoughts, Schwalbe. Welcome, and, and Daniel's Daniel's a special guest. We're very lucky to have Daniel on here. Oh, I'm special, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Love having you on here, especially for this episode. It's been it's been a wild ride, folks. And we were busy, you know, throwing out episode 150, part one Woo-hoo. and two. Big... And you know, I think in all of that, we never used the word sesquicentennial. Which was a missed opportunity. So, so welcome to this sesquicentennial and first episode. I feel like Callie mentioned that. And did she? One of maybe in the second part of the episode. Oh, maybe she did. Maybe she yeah. did, and I missed. Maybe it. not a okay. hard one. All right. Maybe, well, big props to Callie, by the way, who produced those oh, two monsters. Yeah. Yeah. The you know yeah. from start to finish, Callie brought it home for part one and two of episode one fifty. So, um. The, the woman behind the scenes here, who was in front of the scenes a little bit, behind, in front of the curtain to some degree, <laughs> hosting the hosts um, of of episode 150, one and two parts. So the host wanna, of hosts. The I don't know about hosts. you all. Uh, so I always like to listen to all of the episodes just you know, because, but whenever I'm on myself, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's a little, I think like the whole Zoom era has made it a little bit easier to both see yourself and hear yourself talk on on recorded media but still every time i'm i'm listening to um an episode of breaking badness that i'm on i'm always like really did i did i say that so shout out to future me <laughs> oh, listening man. to this nah, you, you you sound good that's the thing you you get used to that after a while but uh no it's always great to have you on yeah, I have like noise canceling ears for my own voice at this point. It's actually quite a helpful feature. <laughs> nice. I'm evolving it's a good way right in front it. of you. Yeah. The machine no, learning has trained on your own voice. <laughs> <laughs> We'd probably all be better listeners. Don't have to worry about the sound of your own voice anymore. Maybe that would would be an even more communal group. Um but yeah, no, it's always tough. Um there's there's nothing like the exposure therapy that is producing your own episode i'm sure tim you're you're well beyond this now but i remember back in the day when i was editing these episodes that gets you used to it real quick (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) yeah no that's right for sure (laughs) oh gosh well yeah a lot a lot happened in that time period while we're off gallivanting and excel you know celebrating our episode and it's it's also helpful to let the dust settle because there's a lot of voices and conversation around what happened, obviously, with SVB. So now that the dust has settled a little bit, it's helpful to come together and hopefully um, do a good job of summarizing what we know so far and also provide some 
tactical and operational recommendations to folks here that are listening in. So um, we're going to call this title Epic Bail, The Collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Its Impact on InfoSec. And of course, this has been dominating the news, as I'd mentioned, lots of voices on this topic. And so we're going to we're going to talk about what happened and, and what this really means. What are the implications? Hey, Kelsey. Uh, yeah. If they just renamed themselves to Silicon Valley Bank, would they bounce back? <laughs> Ooh, you know what a good title would have been? Silicone of shame. Oh, yes. All the pet owners out there understand. The cone of shame is a sad, sad place. It sure is. It really is. Um <laughs> I don't have any dogs currently in the cone of shame. To the dogs in the cone of shame. We're here for you. My dog, and I'm sure both of you have your dog stories. The saddest thing for me is just watching her run into things left and right. And I was like, is this actually a protective measure or is this causing more potential pain? And vet visits, not sure. Well, some of the cool kids uh, in pet world are now using these body suits instead of cones of shame that uh, also protect the wound. Our particular vet was not a huge fan of those, though, so we didn't wind up using Well, no, we did. I think we did use one once. Anyway. I've, I've had a week- number of dogs in, in my time. I used to raise guide dogs for the blind, so a lot of turnover, and I find that, like, the German Shepherds become all sulky and, like, how dare you do this to me, where the labs quickly start to weaponize the cone, poop up toys with it, ram you with it full speed. They're like, oh, there's one more thing I can use to uh, get your attention. So it's definitely a personality thing. That's too funny. That's like when parents, I love the stories of parents putting their kids in like the child leashes and how it always backfires. And the kid like is like, okay, I'm a dog and gets down on all fours and barks at people. And they're like <laughs> t- turning the tables uh, just kills me every time. So I hadn't brilliant. heard that, but that is wonderful. Yeah, a good set of my cousins, I've heard stories of them doing that. I'm like, is this genetic or or is this a normal response? I still have not received enough data to be sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. That's a good adaptation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This week on Pets with Breaking Badness. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, uh, let's take a brief break and talk about SVB here. And we'll, we'll start at the beginning take a break from all that depressing pet talk and talk about a (laughs) just something more cheerful like a collapsed bank and yeah you know just to put a smile on our listeners faces here yeah well let's talk about uh svb as as they call it uh on the inside um first and then we'll talk about what caused this collapse at a high level you know you could do multiple podcasts on the details of what caused the collapse we'll do a summary of that for the show here today but um silicon valley bank was originally founded back in 1983 by um a couple of folks with a background at uh wells fargo bank and they recognized that banking as it existed at that point in that area, was not really serving the needs of startups very well because there were different expectations as far as how quickly loans would be repaid, how quickly companies would become profitable and whatnot. Because I think the prevailing model was, you know, if you open a bookstore or a cafe or restaurant or some other 
local business, um, presumably your turn to profitability will be relatively fast. Whereas if you're starting a company that's providing a new um, and maybe unproven technology, that's going to be a bit longer time frame. And of course, there's never any real certainty that a startup is going to ultimately succeed. Um, and so uh, the folks, uh, the founders were uh, one Bill Biggerstaff, one Robert uh, Medeiros, and one Roger Smith. And so they formed this bank with the idea of better serving the uh, then starting to come up in the world startup industry in Silicon Valley. And uh, they were very successful. Um, they grew uh, as the as the tech industry grew. And, you know, as the dot-com era came into full swing, uh, their, their profits and uh, overall reach uh, became quite significant and uh, they expanded quite a ways. And so um, they became a bank that was not just important in California and Silicon Valley itself, but uh, nationwide, if not globally. Uh, and so it's very common to see the name of Silicon Valley Bank associated with uh, tech companies. And uh, so they became really big, uh, became the 16th largest bank in the United States before this event that just occurred. So um, so very significant. And whenever you have a bank of that stature, have a run, uh, that creates the fear of contagion and a larger problem in the uh, in banking in general. So uh, about this collapse that just occurred. So we're recording this on, what is it, March 20th. So this was just 10 days ago that this um, collapse occurred. And, you know, books will be written about this and so forth. It's a it's a major event. But when banks fail, it's typically because there's a run, right? So folks are concerned that their assets may become unavailable if uh, other folks are pulling out. And, and as, you know, in the age of social media in particular, that is going to be looked at as one of the uh, major factors in this collapse because word gets around really quickly, quicker than ever before in history. And so a bank run is a contagion of sorts spread socially. And um, so it happened really quickly. And uh, so far, as of when we're recording this, there haven't been significant other bank runs uh, throughout the industry. There's been some limited contagion where we saw the collapse of Signature Bank and Silvergate Bank. Is there a thing about banks that start with S here? But those two were not just pure contagion from the collapse of SVB. They had their own problems due to the cryptocurrency meltdown. Anyway, by calling the contagion limited, I'm not downplaying the significance of those other collapses. But what I mean is that fortunately, we didn't see a like 1929 style run on large numbers of other banks. Anyway, how did this happen with SVB? Well, the economy's been unstable for a while now and looking for higher returns. Um, back Going back a couple of years, uh, Silicon Valley Bank started shifting their portfolio heavily into long-term treasury bonds. And if you've been paying attention to what happened, uh, what's happened, been happening in the markets in uh, 2022, especially later 2022, and then coming into this year of 23, with the interest rates being raised because of the fears of inflation, uh, well, that caused the uh, value of those treasury bonds held by Silicon Valley Bank and others to 
decrease by quite a bit. And the other thing that those high interest rates did was uh, raising the borrowing costs uh, throughout the economy. And so uh, this this happened over the course of just a couple of days that you saw a run to the point where the bank actually collapsed on March 10th. Uh, California's uh, Department of Financial Protection and Innovation took over. They seized the bank. They put it into receivership uh, of the FDIC. There had been a little bit of discussion of whether it would make sense, whether the bank should be bailed out or shouldn't be bailed out, which uh, asset holders should be made whole, should everybody be made whole, et cetera. And, and, you know, that's all still going to be worked out. But ultimately, at the federal level, FDIC is in there um, helping take care of folks and to provide stability. That's one of the biggest uh, factors here is just trying to keep the contagion from spreading, as I've mentioned. So uh, in a nutshell, that is what led to the collapse that we saw a few days ago. Uh, Tim, thanks for for sharing some important context. And I'm guess why is this important for our listeners? I mean, what is the what are the implications of the bank's collapse when it comes to bad actors and their opportunistic nature? Yeah, so they they thrive in chaos, right? They, the uh, um, whenever things become unstable or chaotic, that creates a real opportunity for crime. Uh, for a variety of reasons. There's uncertainty. People don't know what's legit and what's not legit. Uh, people are acting emotionally and sometimes really hastily. And an emotional or hasty victim is a lucrative victim in a lot of cases for bad actors. And uh, anytime, as we've seen with the way that we've studied domain blooms, you know, uh, which is where you see a pattern of a lot of registrations around a given term or keyword, which rises and peaks and then tails off to a new baseline, um, there will be, uh, you know, we're going to see activity around this. Um, some of it relatively harmless, but some of it could be harmful. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll go into that in more detail, but just setting the stage, uh, I think this is attractive to bad actors because it's among other things, it's in the news. It's something people are paying a lot of attention to. And so when there's a lot of attention to something in the wild, that's where the other domain blooms come into play here. It's this whole idea that if society is talking about something, if there's a zeitgeist, then bad actors can take advantage of that because they know it's something that people are maybe more likely to click on, more likely to pay attention to because of what's going on. So I think that sets the stage here. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what we think might happen or is happening uh, as we go through. But it does create the grounds for all kinds of potential badness. And speaking of, we, we did our best to ship some of the information out as immediately as possible that we thought may be useful to fellow defenders on our Security Snacks account, which is both on Twitter and Mastodon. And it was a number of SVB-flavored domains that may or may not be bad to take a look at. But... Daniel, I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, what were some of the considerations on our side of the fence or, or what are things you'd recommend for defenders to mirror that? Yeah, so a handful of things. Obviously, in the business that we are in, we pay very close attention to global events, you know, 
uh, never let a disaster go to waste is pretty much a uh, mantra for the bad guys. Um, and so typically when there's a big event uh, globally or in the U.S., some kind of tragedy, natural disaster or a bank collapse, uh, we tend to immediately try to pick some keywords and use of some of our tools uh, to see what what potential bad domains are coming out of this. And it's fascinating to watch. Uh, my colleague, uh, Ian Campbell, uh, who's our a security operations engineer on my team, uh, has a real knack for that and, and plugs in some keywords around a particular event. And we typically, within minutes, uh, see domains getting registered in that context. And in this case, we saw a handful of different things. We saw certainly uh, domains that objectively speaking, when you look at them, are probably geared towards phishing, trying to take advantage of uh, potential Silicon Valley Bank customers who are freaked out and want to get their money out, um, trying to log into potential uh, phishing sites to, to harvest the credentials and then being able to do something nefariously afterwards. But we also saw a fair amount of um, already potential lawsuits gearing up, you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank class action lawsuit, some such or another, uh, saw quite a bit of activity around that. So this is where the sort of ambulance chasing uh, immediately starts to happen. Something bad happened. Uh, I was wronged or harmed by this, so I'm going to sue later on and try to get, you know, piece of the asset. And when when that first happened, it was not at all clear that the federal government was going to step in. So for a period of time, it very much looked like uh, any deposit above the FDIC $250,000 insurance limit could very well have been in peril. And at that point, uh, I think a uh, lot people thinking about suing to try to recoup some of their losses was, was a lot more prominent. Whew. Very interesting. A lot, a lot to be concerned about, <laughs> frankly. Um, and there have been a number of rumblings about potential collapse um, with SVB. And so when considering risk, can defenders possibly prepare for something like this before it occurs in your mind, Daniel? Um, that's really tough. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, and we have the benefit of that. But I think this is where um, a uh, good plan is definitely uh, comes in handy. Uh, I've been through more um, incidents than I care to remember over the years, and. If you have a playbook, a plan for something like that, you're always better off because in the heat of the moment, trying to hit all of the right things, make sure you take care of all the things you uh, um, may not be thinking of during, in the heat of the moment, having a plan that you can go down to like, okay, first we do this, now we do this, now we do a risk assessment like on the spot, what, what are our exposures, et cetera, com comes in real handy. So I know the uh, disaster preparedness, you know, business resumption recovery folks, um, which I personally don't consider a security function, but it's certainly security adjacent. Uh, security should work with like operations people, et cetera, to have uh, BCDR plans. This is where they really shine. And so in terms of financial risk, that's tricky because that's typically handled by the finance department in, in an organization of most any size. If you have a CFO, uh, that person's team is supposed to uh, take care of all those things and worry about potential risks there. But 
since everything is connected, everything is intertwined online, um, information security should definitely have a seat at that table because every service that we use that we reach over the internet, if that goes down, if it goes away, it impacts the rest of the business. So having a plan of like, what do you do if your primary bank's online banking gets compromised and now you can't move funds around for a period of time? Not, I mean, bank collapse in my you know 2023 bingo card of you know worst things that might happen this year, uh, a bank collapse certainly uh, wasn't on there, but now it's going to be because uh, even in 2023, that's still a thing. You know, we're we're local here in, in Seattle, most of us, some of us. And we had Washington Mutual fail in 2008. That was a huge deal. That was the preeminent bank here in the area. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been, you know, 15 years or so, but uh, apparently, you know, what's old is new again. And so having a plan for what to do when your, your banking resources become unavailable now, I think absolutely needs to be added. Hard to believe that was 15 years ago. <laughs> But uh, yeah, as one of those others that are in the Seattle area, yeah, I remember that well. Um, and you know, Daniel, the uh, you're right that it's the finance teams that tend to be most intimately connected to this. But of course, B BEC is the is one of the threads that connect finance so intimately to the security function in an organization, and so. The business email compromise uh, potential here certainly rises to toward the top of what I'm thinking about anyway, um, in the aftermath. So yeah, I think a lot of security teams and, uh, finance teams are, are, are in rooms together right now, uh, around Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Absolutely. And if they aren't, they really should be, um, stuff we have seen over the last 10 days, uh, from our security team's point of view is we get tons of incoming email, from uh, vendors who we contract with for services who are now saying, oh, please update uh, our banking information. So yeah, you can pay us because vendor X was using Silicon Valley Bank. And so everybody's trying to shift uh, their like wire tr information, deposits, et cetera, to a different bank. Now this is in, in normal circumstances, quote unquote normal circumstances, this smells of phishing 100%. This is what threat, threat actors try to try to insert themselves, you know, con contact uh, uh, accounts payable department and say, oh, yeah, we're updating. Now, please use this routing number and this account number to pay us, uh, which is, of course, bogus. And then wire goes out and the bad guys cash out the money and the real recipient never gets their money. Now we're seeing tons and tons of these emails come in which luckily uh, within domain tools, uh, everybody you know, took their security awareness training and is, is highly um, aware of these things. And so sends them to us as a security team uh, so we can at least look at them and be like, yeah, that's probably phishing. No, this one feels like it's okay. Um, so then we still have to say like, okay, you should probably pick up the phone and call, but of course everybody's calling, then that doesn't scale either. So it's a real conundrum on how to protect the enterprise in a situation like that, when there's legitimate need to th update things like banking information to make payments uh, and also to receive payment. You know, if, if, if one of our customers was banking with Silicon Valley Bank, the next payment that's coming in will come from a different bank and they're probably going to send some kind of heads up or instructions. There's a lot of room for bad guys to sneak in social engineering uh, to try to redirect funds. And I, I suspect we have not heard the last of that in terms of 
what other businesses might be uh, affected by that. Yeah, and those uh, those emails that are going out, and some of the ones I've received may have been fishes as well. I just deleted them because I'm I don't interact with accounts payable folks at other vendors and so forth. But some of them have been to me a bit surprisingly broad in their distribution, which is just going to make it potentially look a little worse because um why would for example, why would a customer send that information to everybody on their marketing contact list? That makes it look suspicious to me because I'm quite sure that it's because I was on marketing contact lists that I got some of those emails. Oh, absolutely. I, I One very recent one that came in late last week, uh, our renewal with that service provider, which shall remain nameless, is not until 10 months from now. So why are you sending me this now, instructing me to update my payment information? That feels very overly broad and there's a lot of room for shenanigans in that. For sure. <laughs> I just, this is not, uh, there's no effective segue here. I just need a reason to point out your use of shenanigans is the best I can do. But I saw a hilarious t-shirt um, that was somewhere on LinkedIn today that just said threat actor equals someone who wants to punch you in the face. Threat equals the punch being thrown. Vulnerability your inability to defend against the punch. Risk. The likelihood of getting punched in the face. And then somebody's comment was acceptable risk. Your willingness to be punched in the face. And something um, you just said, Daniel, reminded me of that. Maybe it's just shenanigans is funny and I, I, that tickled me. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Or no plan survives first contact with the enemy, which is farther back than Mike Tyson. But yeah. No, it's by the way, that's a uh, T-shirt that you'd have to get really close to, to to read the whole thing, which could make some some T-shirt wearers uncomfortable. But uh, there you go. Maybe uh, some would not find that an acceptable risk for their willingness to be punched in the face. <laughs> Ironically, it's like the bumper stickers that are like, if you can read this, please. You're too close. You're too close. Yeah. If you can read this, I'm worried you might punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely prefer not to get punched in the face. I haven't gotten punched in the face once or twice before. I do not recommend it. It's not. No. No, not a good day. Oh, my gosh. So many follow-up questions. I feel like there's a, a good personal two truths and a lie in that somewhere from you, Daniel. Um <laughs> Well, well, Tim, you ought to see the other guy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, Tim, I know you had you kind of read my mind a little bit thinking about BEC. You'd also brought up before our call and, and internally FDIC spoofs being something to keep an eye out for. Is there anything you wanted to add on that topic before we pivot here to security measures companies can should consider taking on their end? Well, yeah. I mean, from the uh, from the perspective of BEC, yeah, I think we've I think we've pretty much covered what one version of the BEC opportunity might look like, which is this whole, as Daniel said, uh, the contacts that say, "Hey, change your banking information, uh, change your your payable information," because we were with Silicon Valley Bank, now we're with this other bank, and so forth. But yeah, the other scenario that 
that seems to me uh, we could see unfold is for for folks that are, which in, would probably include a lot of the public who aren't familiar with the details of how FDIC, um, how the FDIC works and how they, uh, how their assets are protected by FDIC insurance up to 250 K. Um, I can envision a BEC scenario that says, Hey person, I'm agent Smith with the FDIC and we want to make sure that your assets are restored. So we just need you to verify your account information for us. And then we'll take care of that for you. Um, a naive recipient of an email like that could certainly be, uh, tempted or fooled by it. And, um, and that's the kind of thing that could be sent out quite easily. Probably uh, a phishing email written by ChatGPT. You know, now that we're uh, now that we're in that era, also. No, I don't know who will be writing them, but I expect those will come out. So I've been looking at domain registrations with FDIC in them, and sure enough, there are some that have been done in the last few days that are quite obviously not. Uh, not registrations done by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation itself. And so um, I think that's one of the terms to really be on the lookout for, in addition to uh, domains that are spoofing Silicon Valley Bank itself. And with all of that in mind, let's maybe bring this back to the defender stance and say, you know, what are the security measures companies should consider um, actually when they're thinking about who to, to bank with is a, a perspective here. So I jumped the gun a little bit on what security organizations should be doing. We'll get to those recommendations here in a little bit, but, um, Daniel, is there anything you want to add in thinking about that perspective? Well, it's really tricky because, um, it's, it's not typically very cost effective for a company to have redundant banking. Um, you know, there's, there's costs associated with maintaining accounts and, uh, you have to, you know, file, uh, reporting on, on various things, but it sure seems like in light of this, uh, especially if you have, you know, very, very large deposits, $250,000 to an individual is a lot of money, but to a business, that's a drop in the bucket. And if really the only thing you, in a worst case scenario, you might get back is up to $250,000 from, from the insurance FDIC, then having, you know, multiple banks or spread your deposits a little bit seems a lot more interesting now, even though it comes with, with some overhead. And then, you know, I would say like, well, maybe don't go with a bank that was just founded like a couple of years ago, but Silicon Valley Bank had been around for decades. Um do you now maybe need to employ an economist that keeps track of all the things that's going on uh, to make sure that what particular bank you are dealing with isn't about to go under? I mean, could some people have predicted the failure of Silicon Valley Bank based on some of the um, transactions that they've been making? Maybe, but I, mean, I, I have a personal interest in this and I certainly didn't see it coming. So it, I, it's kind of a difficult question to answer from a banking standpoints specifically but in general i would say the larger the bank and the you know longer it's been around there is some um solace in that i think although washington neutral is a counter argument to that been around for a really long time was a huge bank failed catastrophically 
Yeah, it's tough. There's like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty, Daniel. And a lot of this, it's like uh, we must imagine that defenders have a crystal ball um, <laughs> of what's coming. There's just there's just so much surface area out there, and and moments like this that can come to be. So, all great points though on kind of the the pros of spreading out your risk there, if you will, across different uh different banks um but uh, but let's maybe pause and end here on um maybe some of the more tactical things defenders can be doing so it seems pretty easy to say don't react to banking emails right away and instead make calls follow up with folks in person and that's kind of the practical advice we've seen pretty consistently across the internet but can either of you share thoughts on how you take a step back and and really respond effectively to what we're saying here. Yeah, I think it comes back to now we know this can happen and it's not impossible that it can happen again. So now is the time to actually take some steps and set aside a little bit of time. Nobody has you know, plenty of time on their hands, but this is all about prioritizing too, um, in that you really ought to have a, as a security team, work with your finance people, uh, work with your accounts, payable and receivable. So uh, security education of the employees is huge. Uh, everybody should have a, a healthy amount of suspicion of incoming email that they weren't otherwise expecting. This is no different. Um, the other thing is, uh, if you are a company that takes credit cards for payment, so when customers can pay you with credit card, uh, have an idea how that actually flows who is your uh yeah merchant gateway who is your uh processor uh those are usually banks not always and have a plan if one of them blows up if silicon valley bank was your merchant processor there was a period of time uh especially over the weekend where a bunch of incoming credit credit card transactions would have failed and possibly could have lost that money so have a plan in place so you don't have to worry about it at the moment when it's happening how are you going to execute? This costs money. And in, somebody may say like, well, why are we going to spend this money when the uh, chance of that is infinitesimally small? Well, that's where it comes down to risk management. What is your risk appetite? If you're making a million dollars in credit card incoming transactions today, you probably want to have a plan B and plan C. If you're making a few thousand dollars a day and every time, every day you're down, you know, you might, you might lose a few thousand. That's not great, but it's a different story than if this is your primary line of business. Um, look at your uh, exterior cloud services. You know, we're all about outsourcing and the cloud's the answer for everything. Well, if one of those cloud service providers banks with a bank that goes bust and can't pay their employees for a period of time because their money is locked up or now lost, you want to have a plan for how to you know, extract yourself from a given cloud service provider in the case of an emergency so you can quickly pivot because if they go under because... The, f the failure of being able to pay their suppliers because their bank failed is there. Uh, you could be in serious trouble and that could affect your own business because now you're no longer able to deliver the service that you've promised to your customers. Sort of a cascading failure. And I think prior to this, I'm not sure how many security teams really thought that through. And now is the time. Yeah. And I would say, I think that's great advice. And I would say along with it, um, this is a great time for companies to do a quick refresher on awareness training, because I am thinking about this largely from the 
business email compromise threat perspective. And so this is a time to be telling folks to stay frosty and be really super aware um, of the risk of BEC connected to this and, and also to be, um, to be familiar with what those means are of independently verifying that a communication was legit. You know, do you know the phone numbers? If you're even the person that should respond to such an email, which a lot of people like myself, as an example, would not be that person. Um, but if you are the person that would be responsible for that, uh, do you know how to independently contact the right people at those uh, companies that you're doing business with so that you can confirm whether what you received was legit or not? That's so important right now. Great perspectives from both you, Tim and Daniel. Uh, I'm going to ask or solicit the feedback of our audience, too. If there are questions around this this topic here, SVB, FDIC, the opportunistic nature of threat actors and, and what to look out for, or just a continuation of this conversation, just go ahead and, and DM any folks that are on this, this team here. So um, you can find the three of us on most large social media channels. Um, so don't hesitate to track us down with your uh, friendly use of OSINT and DM us or tweet Mastodon toot toot. Is that what it is? It is a toot. Yeah, they have toot not changed the, uh, the, the term yet. <laughs> I, hope I mean, they, I, never they do. probably never will change the term. Never change Mastodon. It's, it's pretty funny. LinkedIn message us, the whole gambit, and we'll, we'll go from there. It's an important dialogue. Well, with that, there's been a lot of a lot to sort through this week. So rather than lying to one another, I thought it may be helpful for us to do a game of, it's not really a game, but more so it's, it's a nice appreciation and opportunity to be in our feelings, um, which is gold guidance and grievances. So Tim, why don't you start? What's your gold guidance and grievances uh, from this last week here? All right. Well, let's jump in. So for gold, something that some of our audience probably was already familiar with, but that I just learned about this past weekend is a really nifty little device called the Flipper Zero, which calls itself a portable multi-tool device for geeks. You could call it a pen testing uh, uh, or, or just a general uh, like penetration assistance product. But it um, it is a really neat little device. Uh, it's a hardware thing that it almost looks like one of those little tiny handheld game consoles or something like that. But you can um, look, you can gain information about access control systems, RFID systems. You can sniff radio protocols going over the air, um, and you can also debug hardware. It's got GPIO uh, pins on board, so. It is a really nifty little uh, device. Daniel, had you ever heard of this thing? I sure have. And if you tell me you have one, I'm going to be super jealous because I've been trying to get one for like the last six months. And they've I know, always they've, sold they've, out. they've been sold out uh, for ages. Yeah, I know. I saw a guy who, uh, who actually had one over the weekend, and I think it's in high demand. So that's, that's my gold. Uh, gold. Check it out, Flipper Zero dot one. By the way, I think this is the first instance I've seen of the dot one, that's dot O-N-E, not the number one, uh, top level domain. So that is my gold. That thing looks like a lot of fun. Uh, guidance, stepping aside from the Silicon Valley Bank stuff, 
This is also a really good time for security teams not to lose sight of the fact that everything else that was going on in InfoSec still is going on. So don't get too caught up in the SVB madness right now because there is, uh, you know, there's plenty of other ransomware, other BEC, et cetera. Um, none of those groups have taken their foot off the gas in any way. So don't forget about the other stuff. And grievances, um, I, you know, there has been one of the things that was that I was seeing a lot of news about prior to SVB was how the uh, ransomware attacks against the most vulnerable targets and the ones that used to be considered sort of off limits like hospitals and schools and whatnot have been increasing. And that's just awful. So there's my grievance. There you go. Gold guidance grievance. Well done, Tim. Uh, those flipper flipper ones, keep an eye out. There may be some news on that of how to attain one if you happen to be around RSA this year. Just saying. Hint. Hint. hint nudge. Um, Daniel, how about you? What's your uh, gold guidance and grievance? Yeah, so I, I'm going to actually go really close to uh, our home away from home uh, domain tools. A huge shout out to our finance team, uh, security team, and really everybody else who works here who uh, did a tremendous amount of work over the last uh, 10 days to wrap their heads around this. Uh, it was a super collaborative um, um Work. Uh, I had a, a text message uh, from our CFO on Saturday morning. Said, "Hey, sorry, uh, can you scrub in? Because we gotta evaluate uh, some things and, and evaluate the risk around that." So, um, not something you really want to wake up to on a Saturday morning. But I'm glad it happened, and lots of people put in a lot of time to make sure that you know we're actually able to receive payments from people who were affected and. You know, just what does it all mean for us as a as a security company? So, uh, tremendous effort by the entire team, uh, first and foremost finance, uh, but also security and all of the other adjacent teams to make this happen. So that that was pure gold. Made me feel real good about uh, the company that we're working for because you know, that's not a given. You know, somebody's like, too bad, it's the weekend. Yeah, who cares? That that was not the case here. Uh, guidance would be you know, call back to what I said earlier. Have a plan. If you don't have one make one now if you have a plan review it and add another threat like potential bank failure or inability to conduct banking operations uh to your uh disaster preparedness plan because it's not a natural disaster but it it sure was a disaster for a lot of people and then grievances i'm going to keep it also somewhat topical like how is in 2023 there no better option for private deposit insurance I realize why the FDIC sets their limit at $250,000 um, and isn't really inclined to do it more, but we, we insure risk for all sorts of other things. And I did about a bunch of research. There really isn't a good, easy way where I can just sign up for private deposit insurance, you know, whatever the rates might be. And, you know, there's just actuators and uh, uh, risk uh professionals who are going to put a price on it. Why is that not more widely available? Uh, the best you can do is spread your you know, deposits across a bunch of banks, but who wants to maintain accounts at 40 banks? That's going to be really costly. And so uh, there ought to be a better uh, option for that, not necessarily issue, uh, offered by the government. I'm not asking the government to step in here in that particular case. 
but uh, this this could have gone very wrong very fast, more so than it already has. And so, you know, my grievance is there, there needs to be a better option for you know companies that, as of course of their normal business, have you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in the bank to operate their business. If that all is all of a sudden gone poof because a bank. Uh, goes uh, kaput, that's, that's unacceptable. You know, maybe they can insure it through uh, Lloyd's of London. I, I had always heard that Lloyd's was famous for, they'll insure anything, um, and they're more creative than some other insurance companies. Of course, you might not like the premiums they put in <laughs> front of you when you do that, but I'm, I'm mostly joking, but that's a really interesting idea. Ah, the Lloyd's of London. <laughs> Well, hey, thank you both. I know this has been a beast of a podcast episode. Thank you all for sticking with us through it. Hopefully, again, it was helpful. Send us our feedback. Send follow-up questions. We're here to help. And we'll be back next week for another episode. So a big thank you to Daniel and Tim for um, for showing up and sharing knowledge. Always and thank you to you for hosting, Kelsey. It's good to be back in podcast land after a little while. Back in the saddle again. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Cheers, everyone. Thanks. Ta-ta for now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.